everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our very special guest today is Barbara Marks Hubbard, a prolific author, visionary, social innovator, and evolutionary thinker and educator. She is the co-founder and chairperson of the Foundation for Conscious Evolution and someone that Buckminster Fuller called the best informed human now alive regarding futurism. In fact, philosopher Ken Wilber, the author of The Integral Vision, said that conscious evolution, the name of Barbara's seminal book and a concept that she has championed for decades, is one of the best two or three ideas of modern times. Today, we're going to discuss her newly published book, Birth 2012 and Beyond, Humanity's Great Shift to the Age of Conscious Evolution. In it, Barbara and a dozen other visionaries, whom she calls the Welcoming Committee, articulate the urgency of the crises we face and their vision for a planetary rebirth. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be on. Well, we're just so pleased to have you. You know, your book reminds me of a little sign I remember from many years ago. It was one of those little wooden signs you would put on your desk. It said, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, then you just don't understand the problem. <laughs> now, your book both highlights the problems we face and their urgency and suggests positive ways forward. You have taken on the monumental task of awakening a sleeping humanity. What was the spark that set you on this hero's journey? The, the, the spark really was when the U.S. dropped the atomic bombs on Japan. Hmm. And I was a 15-year-old, and I always was hopeful and thought everything was good, and the United States was good, and power was good, and so on. And I had this flashing insight that we could destroy everything with the power, which was a really new phenomenon. But the, the deeper insight that came through was, if we have all this power, what's the meaning of the power that's good? Mm. And by that I meant science, technology, industry. Uh, and of course, 1945 was the bomb and the military. This is huge, enormous, unprecedented, godlike power coming in. What's it for? Mm-hmm. And so I started my search, and I ended up asking President Eisenhower, and he said he had no idea, <laughs> and the church didn't know, the academic community didn't know. And I began to discover what it is through a whole um, understanding of the deeper meaning of the evolutionary story of creation. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's been about 10 years since I last interviewed you. And at that time, we discussed your book, Conscious Evolution. Could you please describe the impulse of evolution and what you mean by conscious evolution? Oh, yeah, that's my favorite question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, um, the impulse of evolution is the mysterious process through which we have come from no thing at all from the mind of God, from the infinite intelligence, however you see it, from that, from source, evolving through the formation of energy, matter, galaxies, planets, earth, life, 
animal life, human life. And now that impulse is in you and me right this second as we talk on this Skype, which is our impulse to further express our potential, to further give our gifts, to further become who we truly are, or to evolve. And what's happened is that impulse is becoming conscious, not just in great religious leaders or magnificent geniuses, but in millions of us. And I, I'm calling this the birth of a co-creative humanity. Mm-hmm. I believe it's a life form like bacteria and single cells and animals and humans <clears throat> is the co-creative human. And I can feel that what happened with the bombs as we gain more and more power to affect our own evolution and more and more understanding of the story of evolution through cosmogenesis, science-based story, we began to realize that we are becoming conscious of evolution. We are affecting our own evolution. And therefore, we're moving from evolution by chance to evolution by choice. Yes, you. I, I want to go into that a little further. Um, but I get the sense that we're on a, an evolutionary flywheel that's going faster and faster and faster. And, you know, even in the last 10 years, the terrain has totally changed. What changes have you seen that you think have had the greatest impact or potential impact on our society? Well, I want to go back to the original question you just asked me, because that's the greatest impact. Mm -hmm. The greatest impact is that we can destroy our own life support system by our own actions, And out of that crisis comes the next greatest impact is which we can affect our own evolution. And and so the crises, the impact of all these crises, I would say, is the awakener. And deeper than that is the impact of all this emergent human potential and creative potential and scientific potential. And the growing edge that we're all on is how do we connect that which is emergent How do we join together that which is already coming forth in every field? And if you look at the breakthroughs in what I call the wheel of co-creation, in health, education, economics, science and technology, energy, and so forth, you will begin to see the outlines of an emerging world. And we saw Earth from space when we and the astronauts, but there were no people and no systems. Now... Some of us are beginning to see the Earth as a living system with its extended systems, like like the Internet. We're talking here over Skype to people all over the world. <clears throat> That's an extended nervous system. Mm-hmm. And that extended nervous system, here's another breakthrough. I'm answering your question in a real way. The breakthrough would be that the nervous system of the planetary body is beginning to connect and way beyond the gatekeepers of the world, <clears throat> the publishers and the, the major news media mm-hmm. and so forth, people are connecting like this. And I think we're right at the threshold of a massive connectivity of what's creative and loving. 
That's we, the news. We, we've seen that in, in the Arab Spring. We've seen that in the Occupy movements, that uh, the, the technology is really causing people to come together in a way they never have been able to before. That's so, exactly what I'm saying, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> now, you also say that we're at a critical tipping point between extinction or evolution, something that Irvin Laszlo, in his essay in your book, called a bifurcation between business and usual and timely transformation. Tell us what you see. That's what I just described, is that we have hit a limit to growth in one phase of growth. We're overpopulating, we're polluting, we're destroying our environment, we're extincting species. That's the nature of the crisis. The, on the other side of that crisis, you see the possibility of a self-evolving, co-creative, planetary, indeed universal species. Mm-hmm. So the gap is how do you get from this very dangerous time to that emerging state? And what I just tried to describe is the way we cross the gap from this phase to the other. The tipping point process, which isn't just a single thing, is the very rapid, nonlinear interaction and connection of what's emergent. I'm sorry to be a little bit dogmatic, but I feel that um, we're right this is an important interview that we're right on the market. Uh, you know, we're right on the point here. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is that we have this uh, head in the sand attitude as a society because it's so uncomfortable to think of these, the, the reality of where we're going. And so the mainstream media have kind of marginalized the people who are out there from the, shouting from the mountaintops. And um, your, your approach has been um, a, a, a kind of refreshing change. It's been a very rational approach showing how the, we are organized into a coherent and multidimensional system and if we can just pull the bits together, then we have a chance of pulling ourselves through and consciously evolving to a positive future. Well, that's, that's what's so important about what you're saying, Barbara. I, thank you. I, I really think so. And here's a simple phrase. Our crisis is a birth. Mm-hmm. Our story, that is to say the multi-billionaire story, is the story of the birth of a co-creative universal humanity on this little planet. Now, we don't know how many other planets have their story of giving birth to life and, and intelligent life and maybe their own Noah spheres, their own thinking layers of Earth like we're in right now. My own intuition is that our crisis is a birth and the birth is now becoming conscious in many of us. And in the work that I'm doing in my book, Birth 2012 and Beyond, with the Shift Network and the Welcoming Committee and many, many others, is that we are working toward a planetary birth experience where there would be enough of us. Stephen Dynan calls for 100 million of us awakening simultaneously to what's being born through us. Mm -hmm. It's not like... um, we have to take um, and grow a tree from scratch. We are the growth. 
And as far as the media goes, I think it's been an infantile nervous system, uh, which has been able to communicate pain and put us to sleep. Hmm. What's happening with Internet and all these social media now and the 5.7 billion cell phones is that we have a new media. And you're quite right. The mainstream media is still in the old form, like most top-down structures are. So it apparently is that the top-down structures of existing uh, civilization will not be the ones to make the shift. It's you and me who are making it. And how many millions of us are there? Well, enough. Mm -hmm. If you've just joined us, we're speaking with Barbara Marks Hubbard, discussing her book, Birth 2012 and Beyond. Barbara, you've been working on solutions for decades. Can, can you share your concept of social synergy, the, the converging positive innovations that can transform all sectors of society? Social synergy. First of all, nature is a hierarchy of synergy. Or synergistic convergence. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. Let's just wait there for a second. When, when nature hits a limit and it begins to get dysfunctional at any stage of evolution, what happens is that there is a uh, effort for the different parts to connect. The novel mutations tend to connect. And synergistic convergence is, let's say, I have a yearning to give a gift of communication. You have a yearning to communicate and uh, be able to expand many of us into the larger world. So there's a synergistic convergence right here on this phone, mm-hmm. on this Skype call, because you have that yearning, I have that yearning, and we are amplifying each other's creativity. And then if you add more and more and more to just that, nature tends to form synergies, whole systems out of separate parts at times of crisis. So synergistic convergence, if you can even imagine it, would be the creative innovations in each field of human endeavor, like environment, health, education, governance, uh, relationships, spirituality, new energy sources, all of that. That, that the people in there who are giving their, uh, their work and their gift find those who need the most and then those who need them are also have a chance to receive what they need by receiving it. And you begin to get mutual synergy and mutual enhancement of creativity. Mm-hmm. And far from being, it's not, it's even more than cooperation or collaboration. It's really the fulfillment of the creative potential of people by being received and used and shared throughout the whole social body. And I would say my biggest kind of internal experiential vision would be that enough of our love and creativity finds the place where it can be most given to the people who most need it. 
And therefore, what, what they most need, they're also able to more fully give their gift. So we have a, co- a co-creative world. Is part of this what you call shifting from ego to essence? That is part of it, but the part I'm just talking about right now has to do with one's function. Now, you know, the desire, like you're a communicator. Mm-hmm. The ego to essence is the shift of identity from yourself as a local separated egoic self with perhaps an access to the divine somewhere to the recognition that you are the divine internalized as your own essence and your own soul's code and when you practice this process emergence the shift from ego to essence what you you actually discover is that the essence in every one of us is unique aspect of the impulse of evolution is a unique aspect of source but source in terms of emerging creativity Mm-hmm. There's no doubt, and if you look around, that God is creative. <laughs> Source creates. Look at this everywhere. <laughs> you know, so, so the shift from ego to essence is each one of us becoming our own essence and doing a practice that I've been working with my sister Patricia Ellsberg, and we're teaching a course on um, Shift Network called Emergence, the shift from ego to essence a new book is out, Emergence, which people can can get if they want to, is that we are, I've been practicing this for many years, that the identity that I'm speaking from when I'm really conscious is that inner higher self. It's like becoming your own higher self. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of this kind of in terms of the... Um, the need for heart coherence, which kind of signs, sounds like the, the unity consciousness that uh, Neil Donald Walsh and Michael Beckwith and Jan Ca- Jack Canfield are all talking about. Uh, is this um, a necessary first step to, to connecting into these groups and, and putting your ego aside? I, I guess recognizing the divinity, but recognizing that the, the divinity is in everyone and that we well, are in this together. Everyone, yes, I, I believe that heart math and, and heart coherence is a wonderful first practice for everyone. And out of it comes a greater contact with one's own essence, which everybody, everybody had. And everybody has all of this. And then the commitment, which is the part about the practice, is the, is the choice, that's conscious evolution, personal level, is the commitment to cultivate your awareness that you are your own essence and educate your own local selves. They can be reactive, jealous, upset, angry, it's all of that. And so you go through a process of self-education mm-hmm. until uh, very few of us, I think, are what I would call adults. I'm using the phrase universal human. It's or full spectrum self, someone who has incarnate, incarnated their essence and their higher frequencies as well, and is able to act as that, be that, speak that, act, and, and also experience that within others and help others to do the same. 
so that it's a flow, and I actually think it's a flow of a natural evolution of our species. Hmm. Um, I like what you say about evolving by choice and not by chance. You tie that into what you call the three C's, cosmogenesis, crisis, and capacity. Can you explain this? Yes. As I said earlier, uh, evolution, uh, conscious evolution comes from the awareness of evolution. It's been going for billions and billions of years, but what's new is to be conscious of evolution and conscious that we're a part of it and conscious that we're affecting our own destiny by the food we eat, the babies we have, the cars we drive, the wars we fight, everything is affecting it. So what was your question again? I'm sorry. Well, I I, you, you talk about the, the, the crisis, the cosmogenesis crisis and capacity. Oh, right. right. All right. So why is conscious evolution happening now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think partly, well, there, there are three C's. The first C is cosmogenesis, the scientific understanding that there, the universe itself has been and is now evolving. Mm-hmm. And it started in the 60s with some scientists who picked up the background radiation of what appeared to be the first flaring forth of, of energy from the, the infinite field. And that changed all the cosmologies of current life and all the cosmologies of religions. The, the, you know, the three story, the heaven, the hell, the, the, the view of various levels of spiritual maturity. Not that they may not be also true, but they didn't take into account the fabulous sacred story of how nature within that impulse of evolution was able to create this universe. Mm-hmm. That changed all everything and they're still trying to catch up with it. The universities don't quite teach it. The religions don't quite have it. The political system isn't aware of it fully because the result of it is that you know you're evolving and you know your crisis is an evolutionary driver. It makes a huge difference that 99% of the people don't have yet. Okay, so cosmogenesis. Then the second one is crisis. The Mm -hmm. second C is crisis. The scale of global crisis is unprecedented because apparently it could lead to the destruction of our whole life support system and in that sense of human culture and, and beyond that even worse scenarios are coming through. That crisis is the greatest wake-up call we've ever had because we realize that to some degree we're causing it. So it's not like just coming from nowhere, it's coming from us. So that crisis is the wake-up call that we are responsible for the effect of our acts on our own evolution. And in that sense, you begin to see you're part of cosmogenesis Mm -hmm. because nature has always taken jumps through greater crises and greater novelty. So we're living through the exact uh, period of cosmogenesis that is ours, but we're the first species ever to know that this is what's happening. (laughs) Right. 
And then the third one is new capacities. The third C, cosmogenesis crises capacities. If you put together, particularly the growing edge of technology, you put a nanotechnology, genetics, robotics, quantum computing, um, the uh, effort to utilize zero-point energy, the space program, the, the rapid and vast intelligence increase here that might lead to what Ray Kurzweil calls a singularity. That is to say, humans have created a form of of intelligence that way transcends human intelligence in some respects, and that we've never coped with that. Mm-hmm. So this is like radical newness that most people don't notice. It's coming on us, but it is, and it's also probably got more dynamism in it than any other kind of innovation because it's got billions of dollars behind it. These kinds of breakthroughs are so potent and it looks like out of it will come what I'm thinking of as the emergence of, of a universal species. Mm-hmm. See, the Homo sapiens, the creature human, that we're still a creature human with an animal body dying, living on Earth, and being part. But when you put all these new technologies together, the, the new capacities, we become a universal species connecting through the noosphere. Uh, simultaneously throughout the world, uh, leaving this uh, this planet, uh, beginning to actually create a base in the solar system and aiming at becoming galactic. Well, what's that? Mm. That's a new species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably many new species. So conscious evolution is by far the most comprehensive worldview right now in the world. It's inclusive of everything that's emergent. It's coming out of the radically new conditions. It's not yet taught anywhere. But what's happening is an evolutionary movement is arising. And I happen to be so, so grateful to be part of it with things like the evolutionary leaders and the welcoming committee and the Trans- Transformational Leaders Council and the pioneers and if you put all that together, there is something probably like started the Renaissance out of the medieval period, there's enough people getting this that the system itself is going to respond to it because it's the most positive life-oriented direction. Well, that that's a very uh, life-enhancing, optimistic uh, view. I, I buy into it right now. Uh, if you've just joined us, you're listening to New Consciousness Review, and we're speaking with Barbara Marks Hubbard, about her book, 2012 and Beyond. Barbara, you say in your book that to to fully awaken across the spectrum of humanity, we need a shared peak experience or mass spiritual experience. Do you think that perhaps something like the first public contact with ET races could do it? Well, I, I think short of that, which we, we don't know, I think what, what those of us who are moving in this direction are sensing, and that's what my book, Birth 2012 and Beyond, is about, is working together for a planetary experience of what's emerging, what's creative, a planetary birthing of the new era of evolution mm-hmm. that would 
involve as many human beings as possible from as many cultures and many parts of the world as possible who would like to locally, regionally, and, and, and in a global multimedia event, which will be produced on December 22nd, 2012, have humanity's first birth day. That's what we're looking for. Humanity's first birthday, which would be like we've had our first Earth Day, mm-hmm. and we celebrated our responsibility and being part of Earth. Birthday is the celebration, probably for the first time in human history, of what's emerging, being born, and creative toward what? Well, the first step would be dealing with immediate crises, like hunger and poverty and environmental collapse. Second step would be all these wonderful spiritual social growth that we're doing. Third step will be social innovations connected. Fourth step would be, and they're all happening, would be these evolutionary technologies. And my own sense of the planetary birth would be that this thinking layer that you and I are speaking through right now it's called the noosphere, mind sphere, N-O-O-S sphere. The mind sphere is linked up until it connects center with center and heart with heart. And that the global heart coherence infuses this nervous system. Along with enough of the innovations that work. When, when then such that there is a shared awakening. Mm-hmm. We almost had it in the Millennium Project at the Millennium Time. We had a certain awakening at the lunar landing. We've had different times of collective awakening, even the 9-11 events. It, it, I was going to say, yeah. So what I'm saying is, if you listen carefully, is that we are just about ready to have a planetary experience of connecting and co- celebrating all of us, as peoples of Earth, giving birth to something greater that we've always longed for in our heart. Now, that experience, I think, that planetary resonance is required for a planet to grow up beyond its separated, um, self-centered, self-conscious stage. Do, do you think that the the political and economic crumbling that's going on now um, is a necessary precursor to moving out of business as usual into this new openness to, to, to look at the interconnections in the higher level. Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we don't know because we've never seen another planet go through this. We've never seen a planet shift from its early human phase to its high technology phase. It's a very dangerous period because you have the, the, the immature species has gained the power to self-destruct. It's like when a baby's in the womb, it's relatively safe. But when it gets born, it can roll off the table and die. Oh, anybody <laughs> who's been the mother of a little boy knows what self-destructive impulse they have. And it's self-destructive in its very early phases. Mm-hmm. So it is dangerous. But I, I actually believe there's 
uh, we don't know because we haven't seen it happen yet, but there's enough of love and creativity among us to be able to make this work for the planet. And we don't know because we've never seen another planet go through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, in in her essay in your book, Lynn McTaggart says that nature selects for what cooperates best, which is in contradistinction to the Darwinian model of uh, survival of the fittest. So how how do we actually move from a mindset of I have to win, which seems to be what we're educated towards, to win-win? We're moving toward it rapidly. It's one thing about this worldview is you start to notice where it's already happening. And it, it's happening a lot on Internet with people connecting. It's happening on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's the third largest nation in the world, and people are all joining for relationship. Yeah. And they're all connecting. And there are kinds of platforms now about connecting your projects that work. And if you just notice what's happening, you'll see that where vitality is, is wherever this connecting is being generated. And one reason I have complete faith in this is that our bodies have trillions and trillions of cells cooperating to make it possible for us to exist. Like you and I, and they say, I don't know if it's accurate, but 50 trillion cells. Can you imagine that our cells from single cell all the way on up to these billions of years have created bodies as complex as our bodies in an ecology that is clearly part of one living ecological system? And here's now this species awakening to see if we too can join into how nature creates whole systems. Because nature has been creating whole systems for billions of years. And the way it works is by attraction. Mm -hmm. Allurement. Uh, This is another part. There's heart math. There's shift from ego to essence. And then there's what I call vocational arousal. <laughs> you, you use some pretty juicy terms in your book. I love that Vocational term. arousal, suprasex. Okay. And if you think of the sexual drive is to join your, genius, your genes to have a baby, whatever the lovers think. Mm-hmm. Nature wants the species to be reproduced. Well, we've hit a limit. So now we have really should be having children only by choice. So then comes this sexual drive, I believe, as a mother of five, and I've been through all of that part of my life, it rises up from the more sexual organs to the creative yearning to express unique potential. Mm -hmm. And I call that suprasex. It's the rise of sexuality into suprasexual creativity, like you and me on this call. And I'm 82 years old. And I ask myself sometimes, what got into you, Barbara? There's nobody asking you to do this. Nobody requiring you to go tell the story of the birth of universal humanity. What is this? Why are you doing what you're doing? Maybe you have an impulse of evolution that you can't resist. And you probably have vocational arousal just like I do. And is that true? Absolutely. Of course, I don't know about super sex. (laughs) And so part of the energy that is is joining us is the same type of energy that joins us to reproduce the species up to maximum. Mm 
and now we have over 7 billion people. We can't go on. One more doubling, we kill all life. So the energy on a bioevolutionary level has to shift mm -hmm. from reproduction to self-evolution, from procreation toward co-creation. And I find that it, particularly in women, younger women and women over 50, 60, 70, 80, that we are being vitalized by a creative energy that is, is in my experience, greater than anything I've ever felt before. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I've interviewed two people recently, Anita Morjani and uh, a Dr. Uh, Sue, um, who talk about cancer as being the result of thwarted creativity. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we see what kind of explosion of uh, the epidemic of cancer in our society. And if we could redirect uh, that energy into positive, life-enhancing directions, my goodness, what a society we would be. Well, I've had that exact experience. When I was 50, I had a little inner voice that said, would you like to die? And I said, no. <laughs> then I got, would you like to get cancer or would you like to regenerate? Cancer is the body's panicked effort to grow without a plan. And regeneration is when you re, sort of reorient that cancerous capability, which is amazing, toward a, a greater design. So, it, so I didn't think too much about it till about six or seven years ago. I was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which isn't a fatal leukemia, but it's a kind where the white cells are abnormal and they're proliferating abnormally. Mm -hmm. So I decided to test out this theory of the uh, cancer as the body's panicked effort to grow without a plan. And I realized at that time that I wasn't able to fully understand my own vocation. I didn't know how exactly to express myself. And it, because it's such a strong impulse in me, I began to ask my white blood cells if they could move towards regeneration. And then I took a very deep inner journey of identifying the impulse of growth within me as where it was guiding me both on the personal level and the social level and what's happened i, I had a, a blood test recently and there's no more the, the white blood cells seem to be completely normal hmm. and my energy at 82 has become so outstanding to me that i noticed it's it I don't want to use the word regeneration, but it's definitely a new phase in my life cycle that has, and I've checked this out with many women, and here's the clue. When a woman falls in love with the expression of her own essence, her own creativity, and feels that she needs to give that for the good of the self and the whole, she begins to gain vitality. And I've run ahead of every disease I have now. Somebody said to me yesterday, uh, you know, I have many years ago diagnosed with macular degeneration, which mm -hmm. is aging, another aging symptom for the eye, in the eyes. Mm -hmm. 
And she said, well, you should start saying macular regeneration. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't want to be silly about it and say just by saying something, it makes a difference. But when you completely say yes to your life purpose, your soul's code, your essential self-creative expression, and you take the actions that come out of that big yes, nature starts to revitalize you. Why? Because particularly for postmenopausal women, you're not going to have a baby, but you're having yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're the egg. You're the expression of the universal process in your own life. And and I've coined a new word for that one too. It's called regenopause. <laughs> After menopause comes regenopause. And I'm clearly in a phase of regeneration. Actually, this Dr. Sue I interviewed called it uh, second adolescence. Um, You know, a second adolescence, in my experience, is a little bit different than what I'm talking about. Second adolescence is like second puberty. That's when vocational arousal first strikes, like in a a teenager. uh But you may not be sure how to express that vocation. You may not know exactly how to do it, so to speak. Uh If you say yes to your vocation as a teenager in a second adolescence, there is a phase, like I'm, I'm just getting into it now, where you're no longer an adolescent because you have so deeply um, incorporated your own expression of what your particular um, creative expression is that you're growing up. And I think the second adolescence is a, is a good for a startup phase. Mm-hmm. But I've asked, I would like to now see what it's like to be an adult. <laughs> and, and I believe that's what's happening. And it takes a while to grow up. It took you 82 years and you're finally growing up, Barbara. So it is true for everyone. Yeah. That when they say yes to that deep life purpose, then there is a period of experimenting and I call it the compass of joy. You need to be guided because who's going to tell you? All the authorities are gone. The president, the preacher, the pope, you can't, you know, I used to think President Eisenhower knew everything. You know, that was like when I was a teenager. People used to really look to, to the parent or the preacher or the pope for absolute authority. You can't do that anymore if you're awakening. Yeah. So where are you looking for your authority? Basically, there's an inner authority. And and I, I've personally been working on maturing the inner mother and inner father. Because almost mo- all of us have had immature parents mm-hmm. in the terms of the way we're speaking. <clears throat> and so as you start to mature your inner mother, father, and become your own essence and find your deeper life purpose, then you have to find how to do it. And yeah. who's your team? And you need creative entrepreneurship because usually you're not hired to do it. And on and on. To, so to grow up, I don't want to say that in a, in a superficial way, it, to become an adult in expression at this stage of evolution as part of an emerging culture, is new. 
Absolutely. And, and we also have to take it to the next step and join together uh, to become agents of change. Well, that's, that's what we were saying with a synergistic convergence, mm-hmm. co-creation, um, connecting with each other. And what we, I really want to talk about the planetary birth or birth 2012, because we have an opportunity to experiment with this on a planetary scale. Mm-hmm. December 22nd, 2012 has been selected as a day one to celebrate what's being born, a planetary birth day and after the 21st where there's a lot of media attention to what might be dying or breaking down or doomsday doomsday types stories we're saying first of all i don't think that's true but what we can do is celebrate what's being born what's new what's good what's working that we can do and we can do it mainly through through connecting locally and on internet and through global media. Mm -hmm. And we are inviting everybody, anywhere who hears this, to go to birth2012.com, a website, and just register that you would like to be part of the planetary birthday. And there are all kinds of ways to participate, including forming a small hub right where you live, um, deciding to have a planetary birth celebration, for example, uh, a woman in uh, Tucson, Arizona, has decided to get one half of the city of Tucson into this huge stadium to celebrate the birth from as 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 people who are expressing what's good about Tucson. Great. Of course, then the mayor and the business people and all other people who are part of the Tucson community are being drawn in because they get to share, you see? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would like everyone to think of what they would like to do for the planetary birth and and start uh, connecting through the Internet. We have a chance to do this on whatever scale we choose right now. And um, you're you're partnering with the Shift Network um, in this, and you're partnering with a number of other organizations. So you're calling really anybody who has um, the impulse to join with you. So let's have that website again. It's uh, the the website that I got was birth twenty twelve and beyond dot com. Do you also have birth twenty twelve dot com? Birth twenty twelve and beyond dot com was for my book. Ah. Uh-huh. Birth, because we didn't have the website yet. I see. So the website is called birth2012.com. Okay. Now the and beyond <laughs> is in my book. <laughs> right. The and beyond means obviously December 22nd is a beginning. We hope it will be a, a yearly celebration and that I think one of the great things that will come out of this is a global communication hub mm-hmm. for what's working. We so don't what's have that. working. Absolutely. Yes, All yes. we hear about on the news is what's dysfunctional. So this is about the new news of what's working, the whole Birth 2012. And so the book, Birth 2012 and Beyond, which, by the way, hit number four on Amazon last week when it was released, which is quite an amazing breakthrough because that's, that is uh, almost like you know, being number four in the New York Times. Absolutely, absolutely. So that means that we have here a movement, and we have all the members of the welcoming committee, like 
Michael Beckwith and um, Jack Canfield and Lynn Twist and Gene Houston, all of those people, what we realized one time when we were on the phone together is this little group of 10 or 12 people collectively could reach 1 billion people through their networks. Wow. You see, we, we have a hard time really adjusting to the power that we have. People, you, you've heard it here. We have the power. This is the most uh, empowering, life-enhancing movement uh, we've come across. And it's all laid out in Barbara's book, Birth 2012 and Beyond, uh, which you can find on our website or on Barbara's website, uh, birth2012andbeyond.com. But please join the birthday party, which also happens to be your birthday, doesn't it, Barbara? It does. It does. <laughs> so anybody, I think we should have a celebration for anybody whose birthday is December 22nd and anybody who's born on December 22nd. So we can ha- have a whole crop of uh, personal birthdays. <laughs> well, let's, let's just have a global celebration on December 22nd, 2012. And Barbara Marks Hubbard, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an honor and a delight. Thank you very much for your interview. I appreciate you so much. And I say farewell to everyone and let's join together to celebrate. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to close the show with An Adventure in Paradise, a track from Transcendence, the amazing CD by Michael Bernard Beckwith that mixes irresistible dance music with Michael's transformational teachings. Divine spiritual stimulus package is activating the gifts of the divinity.
Adventure in Paradise from Transcendence by Michael Bernard Beckwith. You can buy this album and find more uplifting and enlightening books, CDs, and DVDs, and all our shows on our website, ncreview.com. Next week, our guest will be Dr. Tian Sheng Su, who joins us from Taipei with the help of an interpreter. He'll be speaking about the amazing results his clinic has had with cancer patients and about his book, The Secret to Healing Cancer. I hope you'll join us and please tell your friends. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you.